Hall of Fame Village Media and the Pro Football Hall of Fame present Football Heaven. As we continue our two-part conversation exploring the unique history and culture of HBCU football, we are joined by the great middle linebacker of the New York Giants and South Carolina State alum, Harry Carson. Why did you choose a historically black university to go to college? One of my teachers at McLennigan High School, African-American teacher, Dorothy Joe McDuffie, said, you should be playing football for somebody somewhere. So she piled me up in her car and took me to South Carolina State. And um, when I went to South Carolina State, the first two people that I met when I got out of the car was Donnie Shell and Barney Chavis. And I met those guys and you know, I didn't know what was going to be the outcome in, in regards to getting a scholarship or whatever. And um, I got the scholarship and we wound up all playing together. Barney Chavis was a senior that year and uh, he was being scouted by uh, pro scouts from around the country. He went to the uh, Denver Broncos. Donnie Shell eventually was, uh, became a free agent uh, by the, by the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. And, um, and then, you know, Harry Carson was there. And so now uh, South Carolina State has more Hall of Famers than the University of South Carolina and Clemson University. But I went to South Carolina State not because I wanted to, but that was the only option that I had. And I have to say that um, when I went, you know, there were reasons why. You know, I, I grew up during um, segregation and desegregation. I grew up uh, having white guys drive through the black neighborhood saying, go back where you came from and all of that stuff. So there's a certain amount of anger that's sort of built in there because, you, you know, it's just one of those things where people are taunting you and they don't think that you can do certain things or, you know, they're saying you need to go back where you came from, not realizing that I came from McLeod Hospital where most of them were born. And um, so I always remember that. And um, when I went to South Carolina State, I have to say that um, it was basically, and I, I said this then, but I continue to say it, it was the best four years of my life because I went there as a boy and I came out as a man. There were so many lessons that I learned from my coaches who uh, knew how to talk to me, who knew how to nurture me, who saw talent, um, who um, cared about whether I got my education or not. So as you say that, after leaving South Carolina State and going to a professional football team where you did have white teammates mm -hmm. and black teammates. Yeah. Was that jarring, or do you feel that you'd had a different preparation in no, those four years? No, I, I had the preparation. I mean, I was, <clears throat> you know, when growing up, uh, there wasn't a racist bone in my body. Uh, there were other guys who 
had some issues with going and playing with white guys and so forth. For me, there was no difference, and I, I went and I did things to help incorporate black players coming in and playing with white guys. I was, a, I was like the president of the biracial committee. I was one of those guys who wanted to keep the peace between you know, the black guys and the white guys and you know, white students and black students. And keep in mind, I'm in the South, I'm in South Carolina, and you know, there, there's a lot of stuff there. And I, I wound up um, eventually um, becoming senior class president I took ROTC, and I think ROTC, Air Force Junior ROTC, sort of helped me in regards to, you know, wearing a uniform every every Friday, and those individuals who um, I was marching in formation with, they were black and white, and you you learn how to coexist with others regardless of what their skin color was. And um, so I, I kind of took that with me into football, and I was able to um, play or, or make the transition, play with, with the white guys and show that I belonged on the field, and they respected me uh, over all these years of me um, being there and, um, you know, just playing the game the way the game um, should be played, and um, but I was—I've always been an advocate for the guys who I played with, especially the black guys who I played with, because you know many times, just you know the black guys would hang out at my house on the weekend. We'd watch Oklahoma and Nebraska at my house, and all the white guys would be going down to Myrtle Beach and <laughs> in their cars with beer and all of that stuff. And, you know, we all just sort of hung together. And we, there's a, a closeness that is there um, over all these years. That closeness is still there because not only did we play on the football field together, but we bonded off the field together. And so I have, I have a whole bunch of brothers uh, or a whole bunch of friends. I mean, they're black and white, but... Um, you know, the guys who I played with, they have always been my guys. And I, I wrote a book back in um, 2011 called uh, Captain for Life. And I've always been a captain. I've always been an advocate for, for those players who I played with. And it's not just in the NFL, but also the guys who I played with in college, the guys who I played with in high school, um, I was their advocate. If something needed to, be, needed, needed to be done, you know, I'm the one who would step up and tell the coach, we need to do this or we need to do that. And so... Even Coach Parcells? Or even Coach Parcells. <laughs> it, it, really, Bill Parcells, is, uh, he considered me to be one of his staunchest or best leaders in the locker room because I always had a, a gauge on the team. I mean... Uh, 1983, I think. Um, no, I've been 1984, where we didn't play well in '83, and Parcells came back to training camp in '84, and we had um, a, a change in linebacking 
the linebacking core, Brad Van Pelt and Brian Kelly were no longer there. Uh, Carl Banks, Gary Reasons, Lawrence Taylor, myself were the linebackers. And um, Parcells worked our asses off, you know, because we finished that season 3-12-1 and one or whatever. And he, he thought by working our rear ends off that, yeah, we get it. And so after about three weeks of working out, yeah, I went to Bill and I said, uh, Bill, you know, guys have been doing everything you wanted us to do. And I think what we need right now is a break. And he trusted me enough to do some things with the team that pulled us together. I mean, it was fun stuff, but it pulled us together. And um, Like? He, well, uh, just some stuff. <laughs> That's what we're trying to get to the juicy stuff right here. (laughs) Why do you suppose there is such a kinship, or do you feel a kinship, Mm -hmm. with other graduates of HBCUs here in the hall, whether they went to your school or not? Um, I feel a kinship from the standpoint that we all went through like experiences. If If you go to a black school, you're not getting on a plane to fly and play somebody on Saturday and then get back on that plane and fly home. You get on a bus on Thursday night. You travel wherever you have to go. You know, if you're playing Alcorn State University and you leave Orangeburg on on, uh, Thursday night, you're on that bus um, for hours and hours and you go all the way down to Mississippi or Alabama, wherever, you know what that experience is all about. And you know that you probably don't have the best equipment. You probably don't have the best facility. You make do with what you, what you have. And so we all came from that like experience. So I know what you know, certain things feel like. I remember preparing for the NFL draft, and I got permission Jim Carlin, who, is, uh, who was the head coach at University of South Carolina, to go and work out in their facility at Williams-Brice Stadium. And I remember walking in and seeing the weight machines and, you know, the, the lockers and all this. And I'm like, damn, you know, South Carolina State, I mean, you had a little locker and you had like a, a weight machine. And, you know, we didn't have what everybody else had. But the way that we were trained, we all understood what we were doing. We did a lot of running, we ran stadium steps and all of that stuff. But when we took the field on Saturday, we were ready. And so um, when you look at a guy like Jerry Rice, what made Jerry Rice as good as he was? It was his work ethic. Look at Walter Payton. What made Walter Payton as good as he was? It was his work ethics. You look at player, star player, over and over and over, who, go, who will go to an HBCU. They don't necessarily have the best equipment. They make do with what they have, but they're going to get the job done. The other thing is nobody gives you the speech, but when you go to an HBCU, you represent where you came from. And if you go someplace and you don't give your best, 
if you go to a team and you screw up and your name is in you know, police blotter or whatever, it not only brings attention to you, but it also brings attention to that institution where you came from. And so for me, you know, nobody told me that was what I was supposed to do, but I realized I represented South Carolina State. And, you know, every Wednesday, Wednesday is like a Monday for NFL players. And they'd give you the game plan and scouting report and everything. And I'd go down the list of the upcoming opponent that we're going to play. And I would highlight who went to an HBCU. Because I know they're going to be really dangerous. And if you, if you don't think that these guys are going to bring it, you're going to be embarrassed. Because they are made of a different stock than guys who were coddled and who went to a major college. Guys who go to an HBCU, they, they know that they have to walk in with a chip on their shoulder because that's where you came from. People do not expect you to play to the level of guys at um, major institutions. When I was first drafted by Marty Schottenheimer to play in the NFL, Marty and I had a great relationship, but Marty wanted me to play a different position. I'd never played the middle linebacker position. That's what a lot of people don't know. They think that I've always played middle linebacker. I was a down defensive lineman. And so Marty drafted me to play a different position, and that's middle linebacker. And so I was able to learn um, that position and master it and, and play well. But when Marty and I were together, as I was you know, my first year, he told me flat out, he said, listen, and just like if he was my father, I have that much respect for him. He said, there are going to be people who are going to not believe that you can make, you can do this. And so if you went to Alabama or Southern Cal or Notre Dame, then they would say, yeah, he might be able to do it. But to go to a small black school in South Carolina, you know, that's a long shot. And, you know, Marty was astute enough to know that I was going to do some things wrong, but the things I did wrong, I got the same or better results. And he allowed me to just be myself and, and play. And um, that's the thing that, you know, had it not been for having a great coach like a Marty Schottenheimer, I wouldn't be here in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you know, because um, Marty Schottenheimer is the reason, because he had faith in me he saw something in me that a lot of coaches and a lot of other teams would not have seen. And so um, I give thanks for, you know, Marty. I give thanks for Willie Jeffries at South Carolina State. And I give thanks to South Carolina State for um, tolerating me. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I got a, a 1.31 you know, in my first semester, I'm, I'm glad I got that point three one because if it had been three, I would have been on academic probation. But I straightened everything out and 
uh, you know, I, I graduated with my class. I, and with honors. With honors. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the experience and everything. And, you know, and, and I share with, um, with young people. Um, sometimes, you, you know, you go through things and it doesn't mean that everything is final. You, you can redeem yourself in, in so many ways and just give the best that you have within yourself. We desperately appreciate this. Thank you very, very much. Okay, you're quite welcome. The invoice is coming, so... uh. (laughs) (laughs) As we continue our conversation on the HBCUs and the initiatives we're taking, Joe, I'm going to let you do this right here because we are now joined by the two black college football hall of fame co-founders and two of the legends in our game doug williams and james shack harris joe tell us what we need to know about these two gentlemen doug and shack are two longtime friends and shack we go back over 50 years shack and i i was shack's ball boy in buffalo when he was a rookie that's how far <laughs> wait wait, wait. shack <laughs> did he do a good job did he keep the balls dry oh yeah he was great joe uh <laughs> Joe broke me into Buffalo, made my trip very comfortable. And uh, after 50 years, the relationship has been tremendous and it's always good to talk to Joe. Well, it's always good to have you, Shaq. And Doug, we've known each other, you know, a couple of decades as well. We're getting old. You know, that's, the, that's the real tr- truth here. But the story never gets old. And that's, that's what we really want to talk to you two guys about today. And, you know, We've, we've talked a lot with some other guests about HBCUs and how, you know, how they were impacted by them. But you guys, you started the, the uh, Black College Football Hall of Fame, uh, which has now been around, what, since 20... Uh, I think 2009. Wow, that's, that's a long time. But, you know, tell us a little bit about how the two of you, you know, got started on that. And then we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, your, your, your career with... Uh, grambling with Eddie Robinson, but let's let's first talk about how the Black College Football Hall of Fame was founded. Well, I think I think number one that both of us was blessed to to be able to go to Grambling and, and finally meet each other and, and been knowing each other a long time. And um, we started the uh, foundation. We had a Harris William Foundation at first, and we used to talk. We talk every day, and we talk about what has happened in HBCUs over the years. The players that it went through there, the great players. And then, you know, one day we just got to talking about the guys that have not gotten their roses. And uh, we felt like, you know, we somebody needed to do something. And, and we found out that somebody was us. <laughs> and, and we decided to, to start the Black College Football Hall of Fame, thanks to Arthur Blank down in Atlanta and John P.R. John PR, uh, uh, PR Payment. You know, they was our two sponsors who allowed us to, to have our first event. We didn't, we didn't have no idea where we was going, but we, we had a, a, a plan to start, and we started it, and here we are today, and um, we have been able to honor a lot of guys that are in the NFL Hall of Fame and guys that are not, but had great college careers that deserve to be honored at this time. You know, George, as we travel around the country and different events, Super Bowls and other a value classic and meet other players and they tell about their story and guys begin to pass away. We begin to think about this great history, how many great players we had, the great history, the great coaches and their contribution. 
And we felt that that story should be preserved. And that was another reason we thought that it was very important that we start the Black College Football Hall of Fame. Well, you know, uh, for those that don't know, the Black College Football Hall of Fame's permanent home is being built right here in the Pro Football Hall of Fame within the walls of this this museum. And that's something we're very proud of, and we're you know working very hard to see that come to fruition here in the next year or two. Hey, so uh, let me say this, too, and we'd like to thank you and uh, Jim Porter, Adrian, and uh, David Baker for supporting us and uh, having a permanent home there in the Black College, I mean, the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame. Well, you know, Shaq, it, it, Doug, it was it was an easy sell, you know, because we really feel that you know the story of Black College football, which began in 1892, the same year that Pro Football had its first game, you know, uh, they they operated on parallel universes. You know, they the two never met. You know, the black colleges and the white colleges. There were no blacks in Pro Football. Pers- you know, there were a handful that were the outliers over the years. But the story is, you know, really why, why there wasn't. And one of the, you know, one of the real changes in the culture, I think, happened with Grambling University, Grambling College, with Eddie Robinson. And the two of you were able to, you know, ha- have that experience with Coach, Coach Ed, uh, Coach Rob, rather. And, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, I know, Shaq, you and I have talked about it many times about how, you know, he was a you know, father-like figure. And, and his promise to your mother was to, you know, have you graduate from college. But tell us about that experience with Coach Rob and, and, and what it meant to, you know, to football, but to you more importantly. Well, all my, all my teachers and principals that, that I went to school with, most of them attended Graham. And Coach Robinson was their hero. And they were my hero. So it was a natural transition, but when he came to my home and promised my mother that if I go to Grambling, I would be able to get a college degree. I would be able to go to church on Sunday. And at the end, I would make a difference in society. And when I got to Grambling, you know, all those promises was kept. But the most important thing about Coach Robinson, and people ask me all the time, is that as a young 18-year-old, when you had questions, he had answers. Doug, you you know, you were later, you know, but when Shaq came out of Grambling, you know, there were no black college or black quarterbacks in the pros. And, uh, you know, Shaq went to Buffalo, as we talked about. It was that ball boy that picked him up at the airport that, that day when he arrived. But there was, that was a real challenge for him to break that glass ceiling. Now, he did that and made it possible for players like you, Parnell Dickerson, later on, you know, to, to break into the pros. But it still wasn't – you were still a black quarterback. You weren't Doug Williams' quarterback. How did, how did Coach Rob prepare you for that transition into the pros? Well, it's not too much different what Shaq said. But, but you know, a decade later, the, the same ta- tactic that he used to recruit Shaq he used to recruit me because uh, I didn't know I was going to Grambling until my mom woke me up one night and told me I was going to Grambling. <laughs> and I asked her, how did she know I was going to Grambling? She said, I just talked to Coach Rob. <laughs> and he said, you was going to go to class, you was going to go to church, and you was going to graduate. And you're going to Grambling. So I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't going to argue with my mom at that particular time. <laughs> but but what Coach did, you know, Coach did prepare as a, as a player. He was, he was tough on you as a player. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, after every practice, we didn't talk about X's and O's. He talked about 
what goes on around that campus, what goes on away from that campus, what goes on in America. He prepared you to be able to survive out there when you leave there. And I can remember on draft day going to coach, and I and you know I had this 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 reservation because I follow Shaq and and all the other guys, black quarterback that had played in the league, and I know they weren't given that opportunity. And I told coach um, a week before draft day, I said, coach, if uh, if I don't go before the third round, I said I'm just gonna go home and be a high school coach. And coach said, oh hell no, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I said why. He said, hell, I don't care when you get drafted. You got to go. You got to show them you can play. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, I said, then you thought about that. So Coach Rob said that. What else you going to do? Yeah. You don't have no choice. <laughs> Wherever you get drafted, whether or not it was the first round, whether or not it was the tenth round, you had to go and show you can play. And and at that time, I realized that um, and the way, as long as I was away from Grammar, the more I realized what Coach Rob meant to me as an individual, as an American, as a man. It was bigger than just being your football coach. As Doug says that, you know, Joe makes the point that at one time you were constantly called not just a quarterback with a capital Q, but a black quarterback with a capital B and a capital Q, and that was a modifier. Now, this many years later, when you look back, is it still a source of irritation? Is it still a modifier, or is there pride no, in it? No, I take a lot of pride in it because, you know, like I said, in 1978, we have had a couple of black quarterbacks, but we hadn't had a guy that was picked in the first round to be the quarterback. And I, I never will forget, I mean, every article that was written in Tampa, it wasn't uh, Tampa's quarterback. It was, it was either Tampa's Bay's black quarterback or Doug Williams' black quarterback for Tampa Bay. And I had to deal with that for a few years. And, and as years has gone by, it's, it, it gave me so much gratification to see when they write an article on, on a young African-American quarterback. Now, nah, it ain't black. It's the quarterback, you know, no matter who it is. You know, like Deshaun Watson coming back this week. They're not saying uh, a Cleveland black quarterback coming back. It's Deshaun Watson. It, it's either Russell Wilson. It's, it, it's Patrick McHone. To me, it, it, it tells me we've come a long ways. We still got a long ways to go, but we've come a long ways, and we don't use that adjective no more. So that's to me, it's gratifying. Hey, Shaq and Doug, you know, when you talk, you've come a long way. You know, there's a lot of plans that have, are in the works, and some have already come to fruition because of the Black College Football Hall of Fame. Tell us a little bit about some of the, you know, like there's the classic here in Canton, but there's also the Legacy Bowl. You know, tell us what's you know, really happening now that is impacting players in the HBCUs in a way that only you two guys could have done with the Black College Football Hall of Fame? Well, I think the next thing that we have coming up in February we're looking forward to is the classic. I mean, the Legacy Bowl. The Legacy Bowl was started a couple of years ago when there were only one player drafted from the HBCU schools Doug and I both played in the league. We both worked in the league as scouts. And we know that there are players who have the ability to play if given the opportunity. We also understand how the draft work. At the back end of the draft, many times, you know, you're, you're playing a hunch. You're looking for special team players. You're looking for guys that are measurable. Well, the HBC, you have some of those guys. And we feel that they deserve a chance. So... Starting the Legacy Bowl, giving them an extra opportunity to be evaluated by scouts. And also this year, we also had a comeback in there. 
And the combine does the same thing, brings scouts in and allows them to be uh, measured with their skill set. So we're happy to have the Legacy Bowl. And, and then I'll let Doug talk about the classic. Doug, you, you know, Shaq mentioned the combine. You know, you've been involved in combines, you know, on, on uh, the pro level for a long time. How important is it to give these kids from uh, HBCUs an opportunity to showcase their talents? The combine is very important because when you look at it from a realistic standpoint, Joe, you know, we used to have, you know, we, we used to pray that we'd get somebody from HBCU at, at the combine up in Indy. And you might get one every now and then. You might get two every now and then. But, but what we do now with this combine, the HBCU combine, we get a chance to bring in 40 or 50 guys that, that come in and, and go through the same routine that they do up in Indy combine-wise and, and get them an opportunity to be seen. And with all the scouts being there, we're giving a lot of more guys an opportunity because there's no way in my mind, and I'm sure Shaq feel the same way, to say that we don't have somebody uh, you know, 5, 10 to 15 guys that deserve an opportunity to showcase their ability. And and what this does, this gives the NFL a, a whole different playing field to look at guys and, and give them an opportunity to, to come to a team, to be brought in either at the draft pick, free agent, no matter how to get in, the most important thing is, is getting in. Right. And to, that, to your point, though, that's exactly kind of the, the point of this conversation is, that wouldn't have happened without the Black College Football Hall of Fame. That wouldn't have happened without, you know, you and, and Shaq working together to bring to light the fact that, hey, you know, there's a lot of talent in these in these uh, schools that are being overlooked. Now, let's add, uh, I'm going to jump fast forward to, go ahead, Shaq, you got something to say. There's another addition to the Legacy Bowl, too, is that we have job fairs. We're trying to uh, help some students. HBCU students get employment. We have over 60 uh, vendors and sponsors who bring in over 800 students. Uh, we are, we'll be busting them in from six schools and inviting others in. And hopefully we'll be able to uh, get some of those graduates or those HBCU schools some employment. Yeah, that's really important. Doug, you know very uh, from firsthand experience, breaking into the the uh, administrative levels of pro teams, even college teams, it's a tough. It's a college uh, programs. It's a tough sell sometimes for anybody. But uh, that's an important element that Shaq brings up. These job fairs and the and going back to uh, Coach Rob's philosophy, it's, it's about getting an education. It's not just. About it's all about education. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, Joe. You know, and, and that's why going to HBCU was big for me, Shaq, and, and guys, especially during our time, because we didn't get the opportunity that everybody else got. But getting the education was something that Coach Rob believed in. You know, you're talking about a guy that graduated probably 95% of his players. Because when you went to Gremlin, you know, they, they if they go home, they had a lot of hard work to do. So they stayed at Gremlin to get that degree to keep them going on. So it was, it was easy to get guys to graduate back then. And, uh, and that's the same thing today. We're giving them opportunity to, to maybe get a shot at the NFL. But the most important thing with the job fairs and everything, you know, you got a chance to go and see. And we're not bringing guys in for the job fair. We bring guys that has jobs in their hands to pass out to guys who who's interested and wanting to go work somewhere. Doug, as you talk about us moving forward, and things getting better, and players not necessarily being identified by their race. 
why are the HBCUs still so important? Why? That's a good question. Excuse me? That, that, that's a good question. And, and uh, you know, I hear a lot of people say, we don't need HBCU. But see, they don't understand that if you don't have the HBCU, that's an awful lot of other guys and girls that would not be getting the education. When you look around the country and you find out how many students at this HBCU, this HBCU, or what have you, so some of them can't get into some of the other institutions. And, and at the end of the day, the HBCU are there for a reason. That's why they were started. They were started because of the same reason, because they couldn't go other places. And now we, we're here, we're established, and uh, I don't think the HBCU should go anywhere. I think what should happen, we should fund them more. That's the most important thing, to give everybody the same opportunity that everybody else has. When you see all the flash and dash of Deion Sanders in the HBCU world, look at Doug laughing. What do you think, Shaq? Oh, I think it's good. I think HBCU has, these last couple of years, Dion has done a good job of promoting uh, the HBCU brand. And I think uh, there have been donations, and it's, and it's a good thing. And I think the rest of us, all of us, has to get together, get behind that wave, and continue to reach out to others to support a great cause. And, and the HBCU provides a great education. And if you look around this country, you'll see so many of our graduates who are doing well. And they're doing well in decision-making capacities. So we provide a good education, and we also plan a, a, a we, we have coaches that are doing a good job coaching football. So we say to the young players, get an HBCU school team. Doug, what's one experience you can have in an HBCU that you can't have anywhere else? What's the difference if you go to Grambling versus Florida State? If you've got a young superstar who can choose, why would you say, hey, this will set you up in a different way. Well, I think, I think number one, you go back to Deion Sanders, for instance, the kid, Travis Hunter. You know, Travis Hunter's talent would take him any, any institution in the country. It doesn't matter. But he chose Jackson State. And I think he chose Jackson State based on Deion, but also based on an opportunity to go somewhere where he know no matter what happened, no matter where he goes on campus or off campus, he's going to be embraced. You know, it's kind of like going back to a homecoming. You go to any homecoming in the country, but if you go to an HBCU homecoming, it ain't a homecoming. It's a family reunion, and, and, that's, and that's the way it is. You know, you, you go to other games, you see fans, you know, the black fans are not sprinkled in the middle of the, the stadium. They're always in the corner in the end zone, and, and what the HBCU give you the opportunity, no matter where you are sprinkled, you feel comfortable because you're at home. It's a homecoming, and and. I think that's the experience that you cannot uh, talk to somebody about to get. You can't talk about what it's like. You got to experience it yourself. And, uh, you know, as I sit here and I see a lot of guys, the, the five stars and all that going other places, and I'm so glad that I had an opportunity to go to a grammar because when I was coming out, it didn't matter what other school offered me because I saw Eddie Robinson every Sunday morning. And I knew the players and, and, and students on that campus had a great time because a lot of guys who, who went to Grambling went to my high school and they came back and talked about it. And, and then I got a chance to feel it and understand, you know, uh, and, and talk about going to an HBCU. So uh, if, if you don't go, it's hard to understand what it's like going. 
You know, Shaq and Doug, you know, when uh, at the induction ceremonies in Atlanta for the Black College Football Hall of Fame, we always take an opportunity to interview the new class and some of the returning Hall of Famers. And they're never in the room together, but we ask the same questions and we get the same answers. And, and the thing that comes through that you were just explaining is that, you know, every college and university has their alumni. But if you went to an HBC, you got two alumni. You got the alumni of the school you went to, and you got the alumni of just having gone to an HBCU and had that experience. As a part of the Black College Football Hall of Fame, having its permanent home here in Canton, we started a classic, an annual classic, Labor Day weekend. We've had our third. We were interrupted briefly there with COVID, like everybody was. But each year it grows more and more in this community, which has become a, you know, a really important element of our community already in just three short years. But it also, and Shaq brought something up, and I, I want to go back to it real quick, Shaq, because you and I talk about it a lot. Having the Black College Football Hall of Fame here, having the Classic here, is not just about the Hall of Fame, it's not just about the Classic, it is a marketing tool for HBCUs. Because believe it or not, there's only one HBCU in, in, the, in the region around here, in o Canton, Ohio, and that's down at uh, Central. But that's one of the things we always said about this whole experience. This is about marketing and giving uh, students a thought process of considering HBCUs. There's an education component to everything we do here at the Hall of Fame, and that's one of them, is to, to make sure that that message is still delivered. But every, every year, the, the classic Doug Shack has been growing in popularity. You've seen it. We honor the uh, Black College Football Hall of Fame recent inductees. Uh, it's, it's a, the classic experience is kind of like the Legacy Bowl. It's not just a game. In fact, the game is just the excuse to have a gathering. <laughs> a classic is something you, you have to see to believe. I mean, the marching bands, all the festivities that go around it, you know, and the, the, the way that the community gets involved, and the way that uh, alumni come to, to Canton, it's, it's second to none. Last thing I'd like to say, too, I'd certainly like to see the Hall of Fame voters consider Doug Williams for the Hall of Fame. Doug, uh, what people don't know is that Doug played for Tampa. That two came in with a team that was underachieving, led them to two Super Bowl, two championship games, went on to Washington and won the Super Bowl, which he's known for. But as you travel around the country, you know that he, his performance has been uh, one of the great contributors in the history of football. And most people remember where he was on that day. Uh, Doug Williams has become an American hero and has presented one of the great contributions to our game that is worthy of being considered for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Shaq, you know, I, I, I never, uh, I'm not a voter. But I will tell you that uh, in my heart, he'll always be a Hall of Famer. But I, was, I will echo something you said. There are certain plays, there are certain games, there are certain reasons that resonate in history to remember somebody. And all of those things were, were involved in that Super Bowl. I mean, you talk about getting knocked down and getting back up. There was physical pressure. There was emotional pressure. There was the pressure of being in a Super Bowl. There was pressure of being the first black quarterback to lead his team through a Super Bowl. And he responded, as we all know, in MVP fashion. And, you know, I, I think 
particularly those folks that aren't that familiar with that game, go back and look at it and look at the circumstances surrounding Doug's playing in that game. There was there was a he was competing against the, the the opposing team, but he was competing against the odds too, and he's competing against everything that somebody could throw at somebody in one game, and rose to the occasion. And I think it's one of the, as you say one of the great, and we call it moments, but I'll call it one of the great games of all time, but highlighted by that getting up off the ground when other men probably would not have. Hey, Grandma, we call that a, we, we call that a routine rambling day for this. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, we celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception when we are joined by Hall of Famers Franco Harris, Joe Green, Fred Bolitnikoff, and Jerome Bettis in football heaven. Visit Canton and experience Hall of Famers hometown favorites for yourself. Plan your trip to America's playing field. If you enjoyed today's episode, please, please check out the Hall's other exciting podcast, The Mission. For more football heaven episodes and bonus content, please visit Hall of Fame Village Media and Pro Football Hall of Fame social media.